a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make it to you Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Got a plan to get us out of here I've been working at the convenience store Managed to save just a little bit of money Won't have to drive too far Just cross the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs And finally see what it means to be living See, my old man's got a problem he lived with the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like this My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life He gave somebody gotta take care of him So I quit school and that's how I did Is it fast enough so we can fly away? We gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So remember we were driving and driving in your car Speed so fast felt like I was drunk City lights lay out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged And I, I had a feeling I could be someone Be someone, be someone You got a fast car We go cruise and entertain ourselves You still ain't got a job and I work in the market as a checkout girl I, I know things will get better You'll find work and I'll get promoted We'll move out of the shelter Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast felt like I was drunk City lights lay out before us and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged And I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone You got a fast car I got a job that pays all our bills You stay out drinking late at the bar See more of your friends than you do of your kids I'd always hope for better Thought maybe together you and me we'd find it I got no plans, ain't going nowhere Take your fast car and keep on driving So remember we were driving Driving in your car, speed so fast felt like I was drunk City lights lay out before us and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I 
Just recently, my wife and I became parents for the first time in our lives, which is, uh, thank you. It's uh, very exciting. When it's your first kid, you learn a lot. One of the things I learned is, whoever invented the phrase, slept like a baby? They didn't have a baby. I don't think they'd ever even seen a baby. I think that phrase should be, slept like an adult that doesn't have a baby. Those were some good sleeping years. <laughs> Everyone has their advice on how to get through those early sleep deprivation months? And the advice is always the same. Sleep when the baby sleeps. You just sleep when the baby sleeps. Oh, thank you. I hadn't considered that before. Here's what I'll do. I'll sleep when the baby sleeps. Then I'll do the dishes when the baby does the dishes. And when he notices the bills are piling up, me and the baby, we do some bills together. Because that's how babies work. They love knocking chores off the to-do list. Next. They say that being a new parent starts to age you much faster than normal. I feel like I've started to notice it when I look in the mirror, but I don't think other people notice yet. I'm 22 years old. I look good for 22, right? <laughs> Most of my comedian friends do not have kids, and I've realized it's very difficult to explain to someone what it's like to be tired for several months in a row. It's a very specific feeling. The best analogy I've come up with is I was watching this documentary once about the Navy SEALs, and at the end of their training, they go through this thing called Hell Week, where they're woken up at all hours of the night, they're wet for some reason, they don't know why. <laughs> Someone's screaming at them to do something, and if they mess it up, the screaming gets louder and louder <laughs> until they get it right. <laughs> and if you've ever had a new baby, you know, that's pretty close. <laughs> Except it's only a week. Boo-hoo, Navy SEALs. <laughs> Boo-hoo, Navy SEALs. Good morning. Good morning. It's good, it's good to be together today. Uh, so before we dive in, and of course, um, so before we dive in, I know that y'all are thinking it, and you're wondering to yourself, I wonder, is he going to brag about his kids? Um, and so don't wonder for too much longer. 
Uh, this, is, uh, this is baby Quinn. She is the newest member of the Nat family. Um, and, uh, and it's been really, it's been really quite surreal um, these last seven weeks. It's amazing how fast time goes when you've been awake for most of it. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable. So, so she loves ceiling fans and she loves the wind and she loves snuggles from her big brother. Um, and I do, before I go any farther, I do need to say thank you. And you say thank you to this community. It comes, it comes up almost every night just how humbled and honored Allie and I are to be a part of this group. Um, and it certainly seems like we have found our people. So, so thank you. We're still not sure what we're doing, um, but we have everything we need. And I'm blaming you all for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Really, really, it's, it's been unbelievable. It's been really, really surreal. Um, in one way, it feels like it's always been this way, like she's always been with us. Um, and then there's moments where I'll walk into the living room and she'll just be sitting there on her pillow. I'm like, who are you? And what is that smell? And who let you into my house? Uh, it was a Tuesday night, uh, May 30th. We're sitting on the back porch. Each of us had pretty long work days. Bo was jumping on the trampoline, trying to get one of us to jump on the trampoline, um, which wasn't working. Um, and the phone rings. And it was our adoption caseworker, and she never calls. And so we knew something was up. And she, we answer, and she says, hi, how are you? Which is not the question I was interested in answering, is get to the point. And she, she does. She said, there's, a, there's been a baby girl who's been born in Kalamazoo. And because of the uniqueness of this particular situation, we were the first to be notified and, and the first to have the opportunity to say yes to being her mom and dad. And, Adoption caseworker shared a little bit more information, all that she knew and that she was allowed to share. And then there was this pause and she said, so, so what do you think? And I'm like, well, can we call you back? <laughs> like, what are we supposed to say to that? Like, it's a three minute phone call. And Bo's, Bo's becoming such a big kid right now. He's already, he already sweats like an old man, like while he's watching the Disney Channel. <laughs> You know, um, and he's strong. He's so strong. Um, we just felt really removed from the baby stage. Even though it hasn't been that long, it just feels like we're, we're in that next. He, he starts elementary school in the fall. Like, it's just wild. Um, and so in nearly the four years that we've, been, that we've been waiting for this to come, this is the closest that we have gotten uh, in this potential match. And so when we got that call, it was so exciting and so exhilarating, but absolutely terrifying all at the same time. Like, Allie and I just looked at each other and asked, like, what are we about to get ourselves into? Like, what is Bo going to think of all this? What is, what is this going to mean for his future? Not just our future and opportunity, but his. Um, most people get nine months to ask and weigh these questions, and it looked like we were going to have about 18 hours. So. Uh, it was almost as if asking them, uh, sorry, excuse me, I just had a total brain fart. We were asking all these questions, but, but then at a certain point, all those questions became a formality. Because Allie and I just looked at each other and we knew what we were going to do, right? Um, we knew that we had to and that we were going to say yes to this little baby girl. And so we got to the hospital at noon the next day. We dropped Bo off at preschool that morning, just like it was any other day. He had no idea what was going to happen yet. What are we supposed to tell him? 
right? Like, we don't know what we're, what we're about to drive to. We didn't even pull boxes out of the basement that night. We, like, we like watched Sandlot as a family, like, not knowing what was going to happen next. And um, so we get to the hospital. Our caseworker meets us in the lobby, takes us up to the labor and delivery room, and we kind of were skirted off into a different room. We sign a couple pieces of paper, and then they walk us to the nursery, and they hand us a baby and say, this is your daughter. What? Like, what? That, that's, that's about, that's how it happened. Um, there's, a li- there's a little bit more pageantry in that, but th- essentially that's what it felt like. We were, we were not ready for this. Um, you'd think after three and a half years that we would have been more prepared, but there comes a point in that waiting where preparation, where preparation is, is no longer helpful, when anticipation turns into anxiety, and you're protecting yourself from the very thing that you're waiting for. You start preparing as if it's not going to happen. You're guarding your heart against hope, right? Like the desire is there. The desire remains there, certainly, but it's, it's as if it's more of a memory than it is a dream. And you entrap yourself in grief, and it's incredibly layered, right? Like we learned so much with Bo because we, we realized that the happiest day of our lives when we, when we got to meet Bo was absolutely the worst day of his mother's life. And so, so to grieve the waiting while knowing that what you're longing for means another mother is going to have the worst day of their life. I'm certain Allie and I are not the only ones to experience infertility and adoption, and I'm, I'm even more certain that we're not alone in the feelings of grief and desperation and anxiety that come, come with it and come with so many things like it. Uh, the reality I fear is, is it's likely that most of us have experienced some kind of deep, deep suffering that has shaped our view of this world and our relationship to it. It could be a loss, a circumstance, a disease, a relationship. Um, at, at some point, something has entrapped our perspective on life and perhaps our ability to live it to the full. But, but, freedom, from, but freedom from that is what the Hebrew exodus that Mike G was talking about last week, that's the promise of the exodus, of the delivery from slavery. The gospel of grace that's, that's wrapped up in that story and is offered to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is a, is a freedom from that kind of entrapment and torment and fear. Unfortunately, it's never as easy as a snap of the fingers, right? As we explored last week, there's almost always a desert path to freedom. There's a time and a space and a struggle. There's this desert between slavery and freedom. And this is why life here and now often feels like a desert. It's that desert path to the promised land. It's difficult and it's complicated and it's heavy. And at times, it's incredibly painful. And so so we have to travel together, constantly reminding one another what this life is for and what what we've been set from. Knowing that freedom is not necessarily, knowing that freedom is an event, but that living free is an eventuality. And it takes time, intention, and a community on a mission to get there. And we aren't there yet. And it's God's grace revealed as our personal freedom, right? The fact that we are people born into a garden of grace rather than pets living in a cage of obligation. It's that truth that ushers us into the desert path towards 
the promised land. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that God doesn't need anything from us. He didn't create us to get something from us. He created, to, he created us to give something to us. In fact, according to Jesus, God is always giving. It's, it, it is not too much to put it this way, that God can only give. There's no transaction. There's no, there's no contract between business partners here. He forgives us in grace so that we will be able and willing to accept more of it. I've seen love come and I've seen love walk away So many questions, will anybody stay? It's been a hard year, so many nights and tears All of the darkness trying to fight my fears So keep me happy. 
Thank you, Michaela. That was, that was incredible. So freedom from our personal slavery, whether that would be a disease, an addiction, a relationship, a career, those things that will eventually kill us when we fail them or they fail us. That freedom is a gift of grace, won for everybody by the death of Jesus and offered to anyone who will accept it. Which brings us to our question this morning. What then is our promised land? What is it that we are being freed for? I truly believe, I truly believe that God created us with the perfect amount of care and intention, not because he needs something from us, but because he wanted to give something to us. The promised land is for all of us, but how do we know when we've arrived? There's this incredible story near the start of Jesus' ministry. He's just finished an incredible sermon where um, a crowd has gathered that's so big that Jesus has to give this sermon from the boat. Um, imagine that scene, right? Like the, the, the beach line is just full of people, so many that Jesus has to get on a boat to get enough space so that he can communicate to all of them. And so it's in this moment that, that Jesus gives this amazing plea for his followers to choose love over hate and to feed the poor and to bring healing to the sick and to love their enemy. And so this giant crowd is following him. They're hanging on every word he has to say. And this is exactly what you might expect from somebody who is trying to start a movement or is trying to create a new religion. If that was what Jesus' goal was, it was working. People were sucked in and they were filling the proverbial pews. If it was 2023, they'd be talking about adding another service, right? And pushing him to write a book. The Hulu documentary would be coming out next week. This guy was a revolutionary. Right? The next big thing. And so when Jesus finishes this, this pretty monumental sermon on, on a water's edge, he gathers his disciples in, his, in the boat and he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Wait, Jesus, this, this is where the crowd is, man. This, it's just starting to get big. Why would you want to leave now? How can this Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish world, start this revolution if he leaves his following behind every time it starts to get big. And I wonder if that's maybe because it's not what Jesus came for, right? And maybe it's not who he came for. Mark chapter 5 says this, So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the garrisons. Now this sentence in particular is incredibly heavy. They went across the lake to the region of the garrison. So we're going to do a little geography lesson here. The first audience of this story would have heard those words and their ears would have perked right up. This was all the context they needed and it filled out the rest of the story for them from here, from here on. The Sea of Galilee, which is this lake that they're referring to in the scriptures, uh, is divided down the middle by the Jordan River. And that, and that river served loosely as the dividing line in this first century between first century Palestine, the Galilee region, um, and, the, and the Greek region, or the Greek province, known as the Decapolis, or the Ten Cities. And within this Decapolis was a town called Gerasa. And so when Mark calls it the region of the garrisons, he's referring to the Decapolis. So in Galilee, where Jesus was with the big crowd and the boat on the shoreline, the dominant religion was Judaism, and it was controlled by a Jewish government. Yes, it was occupied by Rome, but there was this Jewish kind of sub-state that was organizing and operating 
Jerusalem. And so if you were a Jew in the first century, this region would have meant order and orthodoxy, right? It was as comfortable as, and safe as you could get as a Jew in that first century. So um, this little bubble was not that unsimilar from the Decapolis in the sense that the Decapolis was occupied by Rome, but it was very different in how it operated. You see, the Decapolis was, was not Galilee. It was the land of Gentiles and pagans, and Jews perceived it to be a region of debauchery and deplorables. And this is where the rebellious teenagers of the, of the day would go to get under the skin of mom and dad. Um, in the eyes of the Jewish people, the Decapolis represented chaos and disorder. And co coincidentally, it's where Jesus spent a lot of his time. And so when Jesus says, let's leave this crowd, let's leave this following of Jewish people in Galilee to cross the sea over to the Decapolis, the land of chaos and Gentiles, this was not a normal thing for anyone to do. It didn't fit the narrative. Imagine the look on the disciples' faces when, Je when Jesus was trying to explain this. They're like, you want us to go where? You want us to leave and abandon this group of people, our family and our friends, to go there for them? But Jesus didn't come for the disciples. Jesus didn't just come to find this crowd of people in the safe and comfortable and predictable Galilee. He came for everyone. He came for all people, and that includes those on the other side of the lake. So he crosses the lake, and the Bible says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills hollowing and cutting himself with sharp stones. This is who they find when they arrive on the other side of the lake, exactly who they thought they would, right? This man perfectly represented the kind of person the people in the Galilee would have expected to find in the Decapolis. Peter gets out of the boat and just sees this, you know, probably naked man running through a graveyard, cutting himself with stones, he's just, nope, just walking, he just goes right back to the Galilee. Because he's like, that's exactly who I thought we would find. He's merely known as a demon-possessed man. That's what the Bible calls him. Some, some, some versions call him the demoniac, which I, which I prefer. It sounds like a Marvel villain. They don't even give him a name, so maybe we will. We'll call him Mike. Um, <laughs> A couple details about his man. Uh, one, he's possessed by an evil spirit, and he's uncontrollable. My guess is he didn't end up in the burial caves on his own doing. Odds are he was outcasted from his community and sentenced to live outside of the populated area. And this would also mean that this man was ceremonially unclean, meaning that he was unfit for any kind of religious interaction. So there would have been certain rituals and ceremonies that he would have had to do, even within his own religion, to, part, to, to reintegrate back into society so that he could participate in his community. And so this, this would have also meant, because he was unclean, that anyone who interacted with him or touched him would have also had to go through these ceremonies to find themselves clean again. And so this man 
this demoniac was sentenced to physical and spiritual loneliness because of something inside of him that he couldn't control. This is the affliction and the entrapment that we were talking about earlier, right? All of us have demons, don't we? Demons that when are left alone, when left untreated, they become unhinged and they drive us crazy. They entrap us, they enslave us in a circumstance where loneliness is the baseline and we spiral deeper and deeper into patterns of self-destruction. And this is what Jesus comes to free us from. And this is the man that Jesus finds when he gets out of the boat. And this is the person that he leaves his following on the shoreline to find. This is the person he's come for. And so the story continues. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, and they ran to meet him, and, they bowed low and, and he bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. This man had become so accustomed and used to his demons, his possession, that when a cure arrived, he feared it. What would healing mean? It would mean change. It would mean transition. It would mean something unknown. And I wonder what healing would have meant to him. Imagine all the things people tried to do to heal him, right? They, they would have restrained him and outcasted him. Um, they would have tried to like pour oils on him and conduct these ceremonies and seances to try to remove these spirits. In his own attempts at healing, they, they only left him bruised and scarred and even more lonely. Nothing had worked to this point. And so healing for him must have felt like torture. But Jesus, but Jesus does heal him. He casts out the demons in what is one of the most unusual and mystifying moments in Scripture. Um, Jesus, this, this is a little bit of a distraction, but I feel like we should address it. Um, Jesus casts out these demons out of this man, and the Bible says that the demons left the man, and they found themselves in a herd of pigs. The demons come out of the man, and they go into a herd of pigs, and the Bible says that those pigs run off a cliff to their demise in the Sea of Galilee. It's a very distracting moment in Scripture. Um, but it, it really is beautiful, and it's brilliant. Um, and what it's, trying, it's, what it's trying to say in an already complex and layered story is this. Pigs in Jewish culture, they were considered unclean animals, right? These would not have been familiar or welcomed in the Galilee. So the demon leaving this man and going into the pigs is a symbol of the cleansing that comes with the presence in the way of Jesus, how he purifies us and makes us clean once more, so much so that the uncleanliness can't do anything but get as far away as possible. So the Bible goes on. The herdsmen, those who are looking after the pigs, I can't imagine what they're thinking, they ran into the nearby town and in the surrounding countryside, and they're, they're trying to spread this news everywhere. And I can't imagine they're trying to spread good news. It's like all of the bacon is gone. I don't know what we're going to do next. Pulled pork sandwiches, it's not going to happen. Um, so, people rushed, so people rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus. There's that crowd again. And they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons there. And he was sitting, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man 
and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. I'll read that again. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. How often do we resist and reject or miss opportunities for fresh possibilities to grow and to heal the pain of our demons? It's almost as if those, those demons become the standard, right? They become our normal operating procedure for how we live our lives. The chaos becomes our order, and we become so resistant to any kind of change or any kind of disruption to the ways that we become so accustomed to. This community of people in the Decapolis, they'd gotten comfortable with the demoniac. They got comfortable with this demon-possessed man living in solitude on the edge of the lake in the burial caves. At least, at least he's got a spot, right? At least he's not bothering anyone over there. And so they, they knew how to deal with him. They knew how to handle his chaos. And so when they see him, they come out of the town and they see him sitting upright, fully clothed, in his right mind, it's incredibly disruptive. It's uncomfortable. It, 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 it has a, it's a disruption from what was familiar to their lives and to their order. The Bible goes on. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Maybe what it looks like to follow Jesus doesn't look like following Jesus. What this man wants is he wants to get into the boat and go back across the lake with Jesus. He wants to be free from this land that rejected and tormented and chained him to a tombstone in a graveyard. He wants to literally follow Jesus. He wants to get in the boat. He wants to become like one of those 12 disciples because that is what he thinks is best for him. But Jesus has a different plan, right? He tells this man to stay behind and tell his story. He didn't ask him to read a list of books or participate in a litmus test of rituals or a pop quiz or didn't tell him to go off to seminary and study. He said, stay here and speak your truth about the freedom that you have received through the love and grace of Jesus. That was it. That's what Jesus asks him to do. You have been freed. Now go and tell everyone. Isn't that beautiful? Two chapters later, in the same book, in the same Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes back across the lake to the Decapolis. And the Bible says this. A deaf man, this is just two chapters later, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged, begged Jesus to lay hands on, on the man to heal him. And Jesus had to lead him away. The Bible says Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. A crowd. There's crowds on both sides of the lake now. There's a crowd waiting for him, begging him, begging to be in his presence. How did this happen? How is this the same place that just two chapters earlier were begging him to leave? Could it be that this demon-possessed man, this crazy, uncontrollable man who's cutting himself with stones and pots in a graveyard, could it be that this man told his story? And it was his story of freedom, freedom from 
that changed an entire community. Jesus didn't let him get in the boat, and he listened to Jesus. He shared his story. He shared his story of bondage and becoming free in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this. He says in the book of Galatians, it is for freedom that we have been set free. What does that mean? If you've experienced the freedom that comes with the life of Christ, it, it is then the freedom of others for which we have been freed. The place of grace, this promised land, where heaven and earth have come together in collision. It's not some geographical location. It's not a physical space. It is a people. People who are actively seeking to show compassion, restore justice, and alleviate suffering. Preaching the gospel of grace in, the, in, the, in word and in deed. That is where God is now. That's where God resides now. And so that means that the promised land that we're all searching for is within us. The promised land is within you. Whether we know it or not, or can articulate it or not, this is what we long to be freed for. And so when we use our freedom, and we choose to serve our family, and to help our neighbors, and to donate our talent, and to give our money, we are living out God's mission by unleashing his grace from within us, from the promised land that's within us. Freedom for freedom's sake. The Bible also says this, it says, all creation waits in eager expectation for the, for the children of God to be revealed. Why? Because the world is waiting to be set free. Can we feel that? I don't think we have to guess for too long to, to know that that's true. This world is waiting to be set free, and it's our mission to make that happen. Freedom that isn't for all isn't freedom at all. What Jesus wanted for this crowd in Galilee is what he wanted for the man on the other side of the lake, and it's what he wants for you and me. He went where God wasn't supposed to go for the people that God wasn't supposed to be for. This is who Jesus was, and it's who he still is today. However, it's in our freedom that we have a choice, a choice to recognize that it is, in fact, Jesus who uses his own freedom to cross the lake for us, to show up on earth as a slave for us, to die on a cross for us. If that isn't our hope, then how can we expect to know that it is him who releases our pain and our fears and our anxieties and our addictions? It's in that hope that we're able to set others free as well. There's a world at war, lost in suffering. Silent casualties, oh God, grant us peace. In these sleepless nights, I can hardly breathe. Despite brutality, I know that we'll be free. I know that we'll be free. So let the light keep it shining. Let it break to the darkness All the love tells us to see We'll all be free In these desperate times Love will hold us near Love will join our hands Teach us to have no fear And every 
Thank you, Machias. That was awesome. The healing that comes in God's grace and love is found when we extend and when we share that grace and love. You see, all this man, this demoniac, wanted was to follow Jesus. He wanted to be in his presence. He wanted to be his disciples. That is what he thought he needed. But that's not what Jesus wanted for him. In fact, Jesus knew that the best thing for this man, this man who moments earlier was scraping himself and screaming in the burial caves, was not to cross over to the safe and comfortable side of the lake, but it was to stay and spread the same grace and the same compassion that he had just experienced at the hands of Jesus. Two weeks from today, on July 30th, we're having our annual baptism and dedication and every year we, we, we get to baptize people, young and old, and some for the first time, and some who've been baptized, but sometimes some who've been baptized before, but now understand what they've been freed for. And if you're sensing in your heart that God has set you free for freedom's sake, if you are ready to accept that invitation, I'd invite you to consider being baptized. It's a way to tell the world that we'll all be free. So drop your name in the giving box at the hub or shoot Mike or Jen or I an email and we'd love to chat with you about that more. An email is not a commitment, it's just the start of a conversation. The mission of, of grace has set us on is, is the freedom of all people. And so it's on us to foster a world where we will all be free because if freedom isn't good for all of us, then how can it be good for any of us? You know, since bringing Quinn home, Allie and I have tried to be really, really intentional in the time that we're spending with him. We're spending with Bo, that is. He didn't choose this, right? He didn't choose to, to go through the adoption process, to do a home study, and to go through all this whole, pro, this whole thing. And we're not going to force him to choose it. He didn't choose it, we're not going to force him to. But there have been so many times in the past seven weeks or we'll ask Bo, hey, buddy, do you want to go for a bike ride? Or do you want to go to the park and shoot hoops? And his response so many times has been, can Quinn come too? I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's much more complicated than that, y'all. To live in and to live out the mission of grace, maybe it's as easy as looking around and asking, who else needs to be here? Who in my life is missing out and needs to be invited in?
May you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, to be aware of those in this world who need deliverance, who need to be freed. May you see yourself as free, and may you accept that freedom as already yours. May you find yourself on the other side of the lake so that freedom can come alive in you, freeing others as grace overflows within you and from you. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Friends, have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week.